Welcome, folks, to our conversations here at Penelope's Loom. I'm Katie Saunders, and we're thrilled that you're here. Um, all right, we're just going to dive right in. <laughs> uh, so I hope that you have some coffee or wine or something to drink while you listen to this. Uh, Shannon and I are just having a bunch of fun talking about the website and uh, kind of where this idea all started. Um, we really don't know what we're doing and we're just having a blast. So I hope you enjoy it as much as we do. Um, all right, if you do have any comments or questions or corrections, <laughs> if we make a mistake, um, just comment below or head over to our about page. You can email us there or find us on Facebook. Uh, we've got a page, Penelope's Loom, over there. So, all right, thanks so much for joining us. Let's dive in. Hi, Shannon. Hi, Kate. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. It's been a good day. Good. It has been a great day. A good day. A great day. <laughs> um, well, here we are. We just started this awesome website, Penelope's Loom. Um, and it's been so much fun getting ready to publish it and having great discussions with you, brainstorming with you, writing this, that, and the other. Um, so I'm really excited tonight to talk to you about um, kind of the philosophy behind Penelope's Loom and this weird term woman's craft that we kind of came up with <laughs> and, uh, and maybe a couple other things. Um, but first, uh, remind me how we met. <laughs> you know, I can't actually remember, like, the day that we met or anything. <laughs> I remember you vaguely coming into my awareness as we uh, w stumbled through <laughs> our, <laughs> our first couple years at Hillsdale. Um, but I distinctly remember uh, having a whole bunch of classes with you by the time we were sophomores and that just didn't change because we had the same major and then we ended up living together and with so many of the same interests yeah and yeah. and because of that I uh, I think that we've always found um very good conversation partners in one another because we've had so many profound interests together. I mean, starting with history, but also philosophy, definitely theology. Um, just kind of going down the line, literature, right? Just Absolutely. the the greats, um, that that pool of of subjects to draw upon for great conversations has great depths, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and we've. I, we've never been wanting, I don't think. Um, and then, I mean, those, those things in common just kind of continued after we graduated. Uh, I became a teacher first. Yes, <laughs> I, get, I had, yeah. I think, two years on you, but right. then you lasted like a year or two longer than me. Um, so we overlapped. Where did you start yes. teaching first? 
I was down in Phoenix at uh, one of the Great Heart schools down there. They've been uh, expanding uh, and continuing to do good things for classical education, especially in charter schools in Phoenix and Texas uh, for years at this point. And that was a great start. But then I moved up to Wyoming and uh, that was the same year that you moved to Wyoming. It was. It's just <laughs> not, it wasn't planned, but it worked out so well because. Really? Yeah. Truly had, incredible. Right. And you had already been teaching a few years and I had never taught before and didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Um, and I, it was so great because you were on the other side of the state, kind of, but um, within driving distance, a few hours, and so it, it worked out so great. Because after my first, because after after my first year of teaching, I came out and got to shadow you and see your school, and I got to learn a lot from you. Um, not to mention all the fun conversations then too. Learned a lot about what classical education was and what I was supposed to be doing and what the whole goal of the of the thing was. So. <laughs> Man, so many similarities. Yeah. Well, yeah. and good discussions throughout. Definitely uh, connected to, I think, the the fact that our conversations have been so good over the years has to be connected to the fact that we both um, are very passionate about the things that we love. And we are very yes. passionate about talking about the things that we love. Um, yeah. Which makes yep. Penelope's Loom kind of the perfect project for the two of us to work on together. <laughs> so true. Because that's... At least one other person will listen to my <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We know that there's one other person. Exactly. Yeah. So Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so it's the perfect thing. Well that that kinda gets us that gets us started. Um, yeah. And in in our conversations, we we started talking about this. What was it? Was it last November? Does that sound right? October or November? Mm-hmm. November. Yeah, it's yeah, last fall. Mm-hmm. So we're at the very end of March at this point. So basically, like six months ago at this point. Um, and we just continued to develop this idea, and you were the one who really championed the name of Penelope's Loom. And as soon as you started explaining it to me, I was like 100% sold. Uh, because it's, you're so right. It's just kind of the perfect name for for our endeavor. Uh, but do you mind explaining that a little bit more fully? Sure. Um, okay, so first of all, some people know I have a, a yellow lab She's almost two years old. She's a wonderful dog. Very excited. So we named a blog after. And yeah, her, her name, her name is Penelope. I named her Penelope. And so it's really funny because um, when I've talked about working on this project with a few of my close friends and family members, they initially their response was, "Does this have to do with the dog?" <laughs> but actually, I named my dog Penelope for the same. Well, not the same reason, but for similar reasons that I um, thought of the character Penelope uh, for our for our website. Um, so Penelope is the 
primary, the main female character in the great epic, uh, The Odyssey, written by Homer. And um, she's a just a wonderful, beautiful character, and she's my favorite character, um, probably in all of literature. And the reason that she is such a great character is because um, she's obviously faithful to Odysseus, um, but she's also very wise. And um, her wisdom uh, is what enables her to um, protect, maintain, preserve, and even cultivate uh, her home as she waits for her husband uh, to return after 20 years of war and travel, uh, journeying across the, the wide world. So, um, so as I was thinking about her character and her story, and, and her role in the story of the Odyssey, uh, I realized that she bears a lot of similarities to the Christian uh, living his, his life or her life in this world and also to the church in this world. And so first, the Christian. Um, you know, as, as Christians in this world, we are given work to do. We're given vocations to serve and the purpose of, you know, that work, well, there are often, often many purposes to it, um, but it's the work we've been given while we are waiting for the return of our Savior, Christ. Um, and while we work, we also know that our work is only fully completed in Him and cannot be fully completed without Christ. Uh, it's never fully complete on our own. And in the same way, Penelope... Um, worked at her loom, uh, weaving a, um, a shroud for her father-in-law, and um, she made a deal with the suitors, of course, who were pursuing her, uh, that they, she would pick a husband to replace Odysseus once she was done weaving the shroud. Uh, but in, at night, she would, she would undo whatever she had done that day. She'd undo her weaving. Because she knew that her work was not to be completed until Odysseus actually returned. Because, of course, the weaving of the shroud was just a delay tactic, right? So, um, so, so that's one connection. With the church, uh, you know, the, the church being our mother here in this life, um, the church is, is what shelters us. But the church is also that thing that preserves uh the, the truth and what we've been given from the Father, the Word of God, what we've been given from Christ and the Spirit, um, and and the sacraments. So the Word of God, the sacraments, these things are entrusted to the church. They, uh, It's through the church that they're um, preserved and passed on to the individual believers. And Penelope does this as well. Um, her role is to take care of the estate, to protect it for who? For Telemachus, the heir. Um, Odysseus's heir, and make sure it's up to her to make sure that Telemachus knows who her who his father is. He's he was a baby when Odysseus left, so um, so it's really the that that's kind of the connection to Penelope and the church. So that's where we get Penelope's loom from. The website itself is where we discuss all of that work um, that we do in this life, as as well as all the meaning behind it um, and our faith as well. So. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and 
just such beautiful Im- imagery, I think, of um, of the the woman's work, um, and and what that does to sustain life, mm-hmm. you know, right. Um, yeah, so with with all of that, that kind of gets us into this question of so what's what's our driving philosophy behind Penelope's loom? What's the, its purpose and what what do we want to do with Penelope's loom? I wrote a piece that's already up on the site right now called Why Penelope's Loom that um, I really try to articulate this a little bit more, um, but it seems like now maybe more than ever in our history, or at least that we're aware of in recorded history, I suppose, recorded Western history, maybe, um, our understanding of what it means to be a woman is just at the very least confused, if not corrupted. Um, and so unpacking that, that true definition, that full definition, um, discussing the mundane parts of that, the everyday parts of that, also the profound parts of that, that concern virtue that's particular to women, um, joy that's particular to women, and craft, things that that really a woman can do best, <laughs> um, especially not do best in a comparison to a man in comparison, maybe specifically to her husband, but do best because of the kind of fulfillment that it brings her and the kind of joy that is capable of being possessed by a woman when she's doing particular things that are unique to women. Um, there's obviously just really obvious examples of, you know, things that are unique to women right? We can, we can bear children, men cannot. Um, the, the feminine personality is something that, that has certain characteristics that men don't. Um, but, but even in, in terms of women, women's craft, the kinds of things that we take joy in and, and are, are good at, um, are, are different from men and just this, this, deserve discussion and I think in many ways right now they deserve preservation because um because so much has been lost in in an age of technology in an age of this modern shift of what a woman is um and so going back to these skills that maybe not even our grandmothers at this point, but hopefully our great grandmothers possessed in terms of running the household, um, delighting in the ability to host people to cook for their family, to provide clothing, like by sewing the clothes for their children and, or gardening. Um, obviously those are things that can be, very hard and, and toilsome and, and difficult, but they're also something that, um, I think can, can bring immense joy to a woman. And so this is, and, and this, go ahead. To interrupt yeah. you just for a moment. Obviously, uh, we're not saying that a woman, that 
every woman has to do these things. That's not the perspective yes. we're taking of, of, oh, you're a woman. Well, you shouldn't be working outside the home. You should, you have to be doing these other, these things to be a woman. Well, that's not what we're saying. We're, we're just trying to point out that there are certain things, certain crafts that a woman does that, uh, can, can give her particular joy. Um, yeah. and, and she might do those in addition to her job, you know, to a job outside the home or not. And, and obviously I think that there's some nuances there that we'll probably we'll, we'll almost certainly get into on the site at some point, but sorry, I cut you off. Keep going. No, it's fine. I, I think, um, I think exactly what you're saying is, is completely true. Um, it's, it's simply the fact that uh, so much of the feeling of what's been lost, I think, has largely been things that do involve the home, you know, that do involve uh, the things that actually make us uniquely woman. Um, and and so even though we're emphasizing that, <laughs> it doesn't, you're right to, to point out, it doesn't mean that, that that these are only the things that women can do <laughs> and that she should really be in the kitchen without shoes or whatever, whatever that <laughs> phrase is. <laughs> Um, well, gosh, so that leads me to, to another question that I, I've already, I've I've heard this question asked already. Um, so is, do, do, should men (laughs) chime in too on Penelope's loom? Should they read what we write? Should, should they be part of this discussion at all? And before I let you answer, I'll say my answer, because (laughs) Uh, <laughs> because I already gave it, so I hope yours matches mine. But um, I said absolutely. And yeah. my reason for that is, um, you know, we all live in context and, and in, in community with others. And the simple fact is women don't exist without men and men don't exist without women um, in, in the most simple sense. Um, I'm not even talking about like marriage or anything like that. I'm just, you know, there's no way for us to exist without each other. And that means that, um, if we're going to talk about what it means to be a woman and everything that goes along with that, we're necessary, we necessarily need the perspective of men and we necessarily need to talk about at some point what it means to be a man as well. Um, because (laughs) there are proper distinctions there. We don't have to go into all of that right now, but it just, you know, it seems to pr- provide the answer. Yeah, I, I hope men read this site too. I hope that they find it valuable and I hope they chime in. I think also, uh, before explicitly answering your question, um, I know for a fact, based on the kinds of discussions that we have, the kinds of things that we are interested in, um, that much of what we will discuss and write about um, will be through a lens of, yes, you are a woman, I am a woman, we are going to come at this in a particular way. But there, many of, of the, the pieces that I think we've already talked about wanting to write and wanting to engage in are not simply... Uh, revolving around a a question of womanhood. Um, So much of our love of uh, those things we were talking about at the very beginning of history, of literature, of theology, of philosophy, 
um, so much of that will also come through in what we're, uh, what we're thinking and talking about, um, and writing about subsequently on, on the site. Um, and so in that sense, uh, while there may be perhaps an understandable way to a degree that, uh, men may not be as interested in women talking about what it means <laughs> to be a woman, right, right. <laughs> um, I think there will certainly be other areas that they will find plenty to engage with. Um, Well, and you have a great point. I know. uh, Yeah. You you have a great point in in your piece, Why Penelope's Loom, where you talk about the, um, the benefits of, you know, women getting together and talking about things and taking consolation um, from each other. And and also the benefit of of men getting together and doing the same thing. So, so yeah, that, and that's a great, a great point. Um, there are so many things that you don't go to, you know, your husband or your father or your brother to, <laughs> to ask them about, you know, you go to your mom, you go to your sister, you go to your best friend, etc. Yeah. So, yes. Um, yeah, that, that's <laughs> there, there, I sup there will definitely be certain topics that just won't be as interesting to, the men. <laughs> I think it was. Okay. I think it was Lewis who observed C.S. Lewis who observed that it is, with great exception, that a man is going to look at a group of women across the room and want to be a part of that conversation. Whereas if a woman walks into a room and sees a group of men in conversation she automatically wants to be part of it, (laughs) Um, which is so uh, insightful on his part. And I think is, is just simply a, um, a good observation on one of the many differences between the sexes. That is not bad. It's just the way it is. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Um, and that gets us right into the, kind of the next thing um that i want to talk about which um it's really hard not to mention feminism when we're talking about um the roles but you know we're talking about men and women and um uh and uh, you know everything we've been talking about up to this point um uh, about the all the joy that women can receive from their different tasks and um and the things that that they should enjoy doing and that maybe we've lost. Um, so what was your first impression of, of feminism or your first interaction or reaction to the idea of feminism? Maybe just talk about what you remember. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I grew up with a mother who very, who definitely taught me that feminism was a good thing. And like in, if I had to define her kind of feminism, it would be Aretha Franklin feminism, just like the sassy R-E-S-P-E-C-T, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> um, feminism that she was a working woman. She was very proud of that. She had worked very hard to achieve what she did. And she communicated those um, ideals to me, and especially as a young girl, 
I, I certainly didn't question that and I saw no issue with it. Um, you know, my parents had had and have always had a very good relationship. Um, and it wasn't really until I went to college and, uh, started truly engaging with the study of history, um, not studying it in the way that most of the world studies history at this point, looking back and discussing events that occurred in this very superior, now we know better kind of way, um, that, that like 95% of modern historians, um, that's, that's the way that they engage with the past. So going to Hillsdale, learning how to study history well, looking into the past, regarding the reality that for basically all of Western history, there has been a distinct role for men, a distinct role for women in civilized societies. That that's been something that has been good that has helped the cohesiveness of that society. It has helped people to know their place, not in the, like, you need to know your place kind of way, not in that condescending way, but in the, I need to find meaning and identity way. Mm-hmm. There's such huge questions right now in our culture. Um, that word identity constantly thrown around. Um, that was in many ways, the framework was supplied for them. And they could, they could fill in the, the unique aspects of their personhood with, within that framework, certainly. But it, it allowed so much stability. And, and I, I tend to believe probably a lot more peace in life. Maybe not happiness, but that's for the next life, right? Nice. <laughs> um, oh, that's okay. I'm going to interrupt you because that, that's yeah, actually you're fine. a fantastic point um, about happiness is, and, a, and a, I think a point we'll, we should come back to is just that we think that these things should give us happiness. The fact that, you know, we've had first, second, third wave feminism now. And so we should, you know, we should have so much more happiness than the woman who was beat down, put in her place, um, not allowed yeah. to do what she wanted to do. Um, obviously, she was um, much less happy and, and we're so much happier. But then when you actually look at the stress and the anxiety of um, many women today and you start talking about I mean any woman I talk to there there's always something right that they struggle with and um, so you suddenly realize that actually all people of all times have struggled with being unhappy and that's because there are seasons in life and we aren't happy all the time and we aren't unhappy all the time and sometimes we're both happy and unhappy about different things at the same time. Especially for um, women. <laughs> especially for women, right. Um, and so there isn't this dichotomy of, um, and, and not even like the reaction to feminism of, of, well, if it makes you unhappy to stay home and um, be barefoot in the kitchen and do all the dishes all the time and do all the laundry, um, if that makes you unhappy, well, then that's just your cross to bear and that's really too bad. It's like, well... No, <laughs> I mean, it's Aristotle wants us, you know, talks about pursuing happiness and that's the, the aim and goal of education and, um, and of, of life. And 
so even the great philosophers recognize that happiness is something to pursue and to long for. Um, and you're right, ultimate, ultimately we only receive that in the next life. Um, but, you know, if you're a woman and you're unhappy in whatever capacity, um, well, there are things that you can and should do about that. But you also probably should understand that you might just be unhappy right now. And, yeah, you know, and that's not, that's not to write off your unhappiness. Um, that that's why you have community uh, and friends and family members. And, and very hopefully faith and, and faith. Right. Um, but feminism isn't gonna, you know, have more feminism. If we, if only we just had more feminism, then us, we women would be so happy anyway. (laughs) Um, no, I, I mean, those are fantastic points. And I think that feeds into just that, that historical perspective that I was talking about Mm -hmm. that we, in the 21st century, though, this is a project that really started with modernity, you know, with, with, um, so much of the way that, that people started thinking about the past really in the, the 18th and 19th centuries of looking back at, um, people who had lived before all of these achievements of technology, before all these achievements, especially of, of the sciences, but, but in other respects as well. Um, and look at life pre-modernity and only look back and say, how could they possibly have been happy? They couldn't have been happy without what we have, without the understanding that we have, the enlightenment, right? That, that whole word and all that's contained in that, um, that this idea of we have actually come to an understanding of what brings fulfillment and happiness. Um, it's so arrogant and it's so wrong, right? Like what, what person following the, any philosophy that's of this world has actually achieved complete happiness. I want you to introduce them to me (laughs) Um, because they don't exist. Right. And, and so the breakdown, the continued breakdown of, um, of just what it means to be a cohesive society, um, that, okay, to be fair, we've had a breakdown in society since Adam and Eve. So I'm not, (laughs) I'm not going to try to pull the nostalgia card. Um, by any stretch of the imagination. But I think, I think most people can agree that things have started to, um, become worse off in our culture, in our society without the foundations of key essentials. And I think you and I would both agree that like the foremost of those is certainly, um, in, in the Western world, Christianity being the foundational, underpinnings of everything within the society and the fact that that's largely gone is the the root of of so much of the decay but within within that uh within just the civil um implications of christianity so things that aren't explicitly christian things like the role of the sexes within society the breakdown of of those roles, especially in the last 50 to 60 years, 
give or take. Um, it's not led us to greater happiness. It's led, or, led us to greater confusion. So feminism, feminism is just a really difficult term for me to wrap my head around now. You know, just going back to where I started, I was fed this very kind of simple answer when I was a child. And, and now it's just something I feel like I have to constantly wrestle with and figure out um, how to think about it. Because I certainly don't agree with most of the people who call themselves feminists now. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I can look at certain things that I'm able to do now as a woman that a hundred years ago, I probably wouldn't have been able to and, and be grateful um so it's it's somewhere in between those (laughs) that the sweet spot exists i just don't and and i think that's why that that's that's why you do something like penelope's loom that's why we have these kinds of discussions is it's more nuanced than um yeah you know than simply feminism is right or feminism is wrong so the way i look at feminism is um okay so first wave feminism uh was fighting for for women's suffrage so that they could vote. Second wave uh, in the 60s and 70s, uh, now you have a generation that is uh, of women who are uh, probably received, you know, a different level of education than with the, or a different type of education than they have before. Um, you've got children of that generation growing up and fighting for equal jobs, equal pay, um, types of child care that enable them to go off to work all day and that kind of thing. Um, then you've got third wave feminism in the mid nineties where you really see like the change in language and change in the understanding of what gender even is. Um, right. And so you end up where we're at today and that's really a, a quick overview, but, um, you know, ultimately feminism is just another narrative. Uh, and, what I mean by that is it's just another very simplified way of looking at humanity and how the world works. And as soon as you have a narrative, you've got people that either are going to buy into it or reject it. Um, And I think that immediately releases our ability to interact with each other as human beings. Um, So that's why I can look at feminism and say, okay, well, that movement has produced some things that are certainly positive. It's produced some things that are certainly negative. You've got to be able to be nuanced and look at it in that light. And, um, and it, it, that, that maybe comes from how you and I have been trained as, as historians, um, at Hillsdale and, um, and just how we've been taught to, to read history. Um, okay. So, Can I, can I just add one thing to that? Please do. I I mean, I think the greatest temptation of like the turn of the 20th century is, uh, relying on ideologies rather, rather than philosophies or theologies, right. And, and mixing up an ideology for a philosophy of life, um, and it's just caused great harm to us. Right. <laughs> That's all. Right. <laughs> That's my point. No, I... Right, yep. Okay, so that was 
kind of jumping into huge stuff, you know, we talked about narratives and ideologies and just big words and big ideas and um, things that, that we'll get into maybe down the road. Um, so let's just end with when you hear the, the word womanhood or if you think about the idea of womanhood, Shannon, um, what or who do you think of? Um, so we, we briefly discussed this before we were chatting just now and it was really interesting to me that it seemed just from the way that you were talking that you were thinking of these literary characters who just have personified womanhood for you and I thought to myself like oh man like okay what great works can I really reflect on and say, yes, that's my definition of a woman. And I realized that, um, I don't have a lot of those The when I think of this understanding of womanhood, I, I think of, um, women that I've actually interacted with, um, or, or no, I, I put that too strongly who do exist or have existed. Maybe that's how I should put that. Um, I either know them from personal relationship or stories that have been told about them. Um, the, some of the first women that jump to mind are women who, as a teacher, I was in the perspective, in, in the position to have this, this little view into family life at home and what kinds of families functioned well and happily and what kinds of families didn't. Mm, that's and, a great way of looking at it. Yeah. And interacted so much more with the moms <laughs> than the dads just on the whole. And I'm sure you had a similar experience um, because that's that the moms are just going to be more communicative. And there were a number of mothers over the years that I was a teacher who I felt like I should just start taking notes from um, and who just really, truly inspired me with their realistic day-to-day -day ability to be incredible women, um, incredible mothers, incredible multitaskers, <laughs> um, very insightful and caring. Uh, but I would, I mean, I would also extend that to, um, you know, stories of, um, stories of my, my grandmother, especially on my dad's side and, and of her running the farm, you know, um, I, that's very much an image that when I think of womanhood is invoked and because I'm Catholic, gotta think of Mary. <laughs> <laughs> um, she, she really comes forward to the mind as well. Um, in that, you know, she, in... she can actually come to the mind of those who aren't Catholic as well. <laughs> Because so I'm told, but I mean, she was a real person, and she will you start believing in, in, in apparitions and visions of her? Oh my goodness! <laughs> wow, diving in. Okay, I'm cutting you off, and I'm going to talk about who I think of when I hear the word womanhood. Please, I can't wait to hear. Um, besides Mary, Christ's mother. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh. So, you know, I didn't even write anything down for this answer. I just, um, so obviously I think of Eve, uh, right off the bat and that's, uh, probably really obvious, but I can't, I can't help but think of Eve, um, because, uh, two reasons. One, 
she's the first mother and she's not just a mother of human children, but she's given the title mother of life, mother of all the living, um, which I mean, you think about that and, and then think about the fact that that it, it's given to Eve specifically, but then through Eve, it's given to all women. That is, yeah. I mean, you want to talk about power. That is a lot of power given yeah. to women. Um, yeah. so, so that, that's a big one. Um, the other reason that I think of, of Eve is because she falls into sin and, um, she faces the temptation to grab power that isn't hers. Um, even though she's given mm. this other, this other great power and it's actually given to her properly. Um, she, she also wants to be like God and, um, and take and grab power that, that isn't hers. And then that sin, um, you know, is carried on to her relationship with her husband and, um, she's warned or maybe cursed. I'm not sure what you would say. And that's a great discussion we could have, but, um, she's, she's warned that she will have desire for her husband. And the way I've always been taught that, um, about that statement is that it means that she will desire to have dominion and have power over her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and there's so much that we could talk about with those, both of each of those things with Eve. So Eve And that's just because I, I love her so much. And I'm, every time I read the Odyssey, I'm continually amazed at um, the depth of her character and mm. um, the, the fact that this is a pre-Christian society. Some people might not know that I know that. Comments we received this week. But I do know that she, that story was written before, <laughs> before Christianity. Wasn't before, even a Jew. Before Christ. <laughs> right. Yes. Like, um, right. So, uh, I do know that, but, but I am amazed that, you know, Homer is able to come up with such a beautiful picture of womanhood in this, in this lady. Um, and, and it's, it's just absolutely beautiful. So that's another huge plug to read the Odyssey to anyone who hasn't. So, okay. Those are my two. I, I could list so many more. I can't believe I'm going to limit myself to that, but we've gone over time. So we really should wrap up. Um, yeah. So do you have any fun plans for tomorrow during this coronavirus craziness? Oh my gosh. Uh, live another day. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually I have a midwife point appointment tomorrow, so I will see a person who's not my immediate family, my husband or my daughter, and have conversation with her for That's the really first time, exciting. like physical touch with a person who is not of immediate relation to me in like maybe a month. That's great. Just because That's of, awesome. you know, you know, I told you that Elise was sick and then, you know, coronavirus crazy happened and it's been, <sighs> it's been hectic. It's, yeah. It's been, we've, I mean, it's just been crazy. Yeah, that's yes. a that's a good way of putting it. So that's that's my really exciting thing. Probably for the month. No, we have Easter coming up. It will just be a very different Easter. So it will be. Um, it'll it'll be a year. It'll be a bittersweet Easter. This. Yeah. 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 Well, I think I'm gonna bake some bagels tomorrow. That's my plan. Uh, Excellent. So. Very good. 
I still need to get your bagel recipe. You, you, I know you've told me well, about it. Well, everybody should actually, happened. everybody should look for the bagel recipe because uh, that's going to be coming out soon. It's not my recipe. I'm just going to put out some, a list of favorite recipes, of uh, baking recipes. And actually, you're going to do it too. So everybody's <laughs> going to get our favorite recipes for baking oh, with sourdough since it's one of the things that started this whole project as well. Okay, really quick. Do you ever have, like, I just need new recipes in my lineup? Do you ever have those days where you're just like, I'm going to search, I will find new things? Yes? Every, no? every once in a while, every once in a while. Oh, yes. gosh, okay. I, this probably happens to me, like, once a month. And I literally, like, go through the food blogs, and I go through all of the lists, and it's just a, it's it's a printing session day where I I probably printed out probably like twenty new recipes today, nice. um, and it's it's delightful because it's it's just new thing. This is awesome. Yeah. Um, so I had I had one of those days today. So I'm excited to cultivate Ooh. favorite recipes. Yeah. That's all. all right. Well, I hope that you'll share them at some point. Okay. I'll do. All right. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. And thank you to anyone, any poor soul who decided to listen all the way to this point. And thank you to everybody for reading Penelope's Loom and taking interest in what we're doing. And we'll talk to you again soon. Good night.